0: Those who love me will keep my words and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine but it is from the Father who sent me. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to my Father because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. When you read John's Gospel, this is the world's best painting to look at. It's a huge painting in real life, it's actually probably about as big as it is on that wall there. It's about three metres by two and a half metres. It's by Henri Matisse and it's one of the paintings that um, art historians say begins the modern movement in painting. Modern art begins. Um, Some will say even begins with this actual painting, but it begins um, in with this work with Matisse's early work, and this one. This was done in 1910, and it is called the Dance, and it was done for a a, a wealthy Russian um, who wanted something. Bold, And this is really bold. But the reason why it's such a great painting to think about, and I always think about it when I'm reading bits of John's Gospel, is because John's Gospel just goes around and around in circles, in my head at least. You read a verse and then you read another verse and then another one, you feel like the third verse you're reading is the same as the first verse, and it often is. And I like the idea of this being a dance. Because with this painting, you don't know who's leading that's kind of irrelevant, who cares? They're really enjoying themselves, they're really engaged and questions like, who's in charge? Where's it all heading? Those things, they're not important. What's important is the experience of the moment. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think that's what's happening in this gospel. Nearly six years ago, my mum died and I gave the eulogy at her sermon. And it was really disappointing because I couldn't express in words and in the amount of time that I had available to me all the things that I would like to have said about my mother. She was a complicated person, like everybody else on the planet. She was wonderful. She was extraordinary, she was driven, she was interesting, she was interested in everything. Um, she was irascible, she was difficult to get on with, she wouldn't listen to her eldest son much of the time. I don't know why, you'd think she would. but. And so I did the best I could. <clears throat> but of course it was never enough. It was never going to encapture all of my experience of her. And John's Gospel is pretty much like that. In fact, he ends the Gospel... (coughs) Excuse me. He ends the Gospel by saying, look, there's a lot more things I could say, but they wouldn't fit into all the books, and so this is just enough. That's a paraphrase, but that's essentially what he's saying. So he's trying to grapple with this idea of who God is in Jesus and what could possibly be the experience of having Jesus present with us, who seem to be so infused with the idea of God. And and Jesus says in this, perhaps the the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. There's an intimate relationship between Jesus and the mystery of the universe. And it's so intimate that Jesus decides to use a term to describe that of Father. Or Abba, the idea of a really intimate, you might want to translate that today as, I'm sure you've heard this as as daddy, as a kind of really intimate way of talking. And that's quite extraordinary, given that the time in which Jesus lived uh, was full of God's. But the gods were always distant from human beings. And the idea that you could have an intimate relationship, so intimate that you would use that kind of language to describe the experience of the divine is very interesting and exciting or disturbing. Particularly if you feel that you're not connected to the world very much. How somebody could be is really interesting. Interesting. It's probably better to think about the Gospel of John more like a book of poetry than a book of instructions. The book of instructions, its main job is to be as clear and concise as possible so that you know how to do the thing it's instructing you to do. If you own a dishwasher or a washing machine or pretty much any machine that you bought in the last five years, it's going to come with a huge instruction book and it can do all kinds of things as well as the thing you want it to do and you got to kind of work through all the rubbish to get through to the... Do. Like, all I want to do is wash my clothes. I don't care that there's 97 cycles. I just, you know, want to put it in, turn it on, and get the clothes out and hang them on the line. But, you know, it's really complicated. But a good instruction book will be able to tell you the things you absolutely must know in order to get the thing done, and the other things you might like to know if you would also like it to sing The Yellow Rose of Texas. Well, it does it, or something, whatever else these things could do. They certainly beep a lot. That's what an instruction book... This is not an instruction book. Because if it is, it will drive us crazy. Because there's no clear instruction. There's a kind of hinting towards... There's a kind of an illusion of something. Like you trying to explain anything of real meaning and worth in your life. Like me trying to say something meaningful in my grief about my mum. You just... You just have to hint at it. You have to use metaphor and ideas... And that's what exactly is happening here. True experience of the other, the divine, if, or to use Jesus' term, the father, true experience of that is an experience. It's not a formula. It's like doing anything worthwhile, falling in love, or losing a loved one. These things can't be formulaic. If you're in grief, the worst thing you can have is people explaining to you how grief is supposed to go. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, which you've probably heard about. And they are significant and valuable, but they're not stages. They're stuff that happens to you. And sometimes you're in this bit, and sometimes you're in that bit, and then you swap it around, and you're in that bit, and then you're in that bit, and you don't know It's an experience, not a formula. But unfortunately, bits of this gospel do sound kind of formulaic. The bit we started with, those of you who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make a home with them. Who does not love me, whoever does not love me is not keeping my words. That kind of sounds formulaic. But when you encapsulate in the whole thing, it's much more, it's much gentler than that. There's this idea of being so intimately connected. So, and I mentioned last week, those of you who are here, that one way of thinking about love, because it's such a a diluted word in our culture, is to think about, there's lots of ways, but one of them is to think about respect and honour. That if we respect and honour someone, we're getting pretty close to the idea of love. That if you respect someone, you pay attention to them. You know that you're not being respected when you're in a conversation that's one-sided from the other person. That you can sense when they're waiting for you to stop talking so they can start again. That's not respect and honour. And it's not much fun either. it's, It's the way of being in the world that is kind of isolating. And so you get this sense that Jesus is not saying, if you love me, you will keep my word as in you must do this and then you must do that, but these are the automatic things that come out of. When you find yourself loving someone, you find yourself trying to find ways of of symbiosis with them. And often, if you've ever been in love, you'll notice that you find the other person's sense of humour, something you're trying to connect to, and maybe you can or maybe you can't. And and there's lots of different ways of of looking at that, but but it's that sense that um, you want to kind of find ways in to their to their way of seeing the world. And humour, of course, is a brilliant way, because why do you laugh at something? Well, it's hard because it's funny. It's hard to know why. You just for you, that's really funny. There's nothing worse than having a really great joke and you tell someone and they don't get it. It's not because they're stupid or they don't understand. You know, you can explain if there's a thing in it that they don't understand. But, but if you've told it reasonably well and you think it's funny and they don't, what are you going to do? You know, there's no... You've got to find other ways of connecting. And so there's this sense where John is, I think, saying that loving and being alongside and experiencing another person's way of being in the world, which is one way of talking about the word, as Jesus uses it, and as John uses it, is that it's, a, it's paying close attention, it's being connected. And if you do all of that then you find that God, in this text comes and lives with you. That's what, that's what it's beginning to say. We will come and make our home with them. It's a wonderful idea, this idea that the divine or the meaning of the universe or the sense of what the universe is comes and, be, and is present in our lives. It's, and the problem with coming to church all the time is we hear this over and over again and it sounds like, yeah, we know all that. But it's really a remarkable, crazy notion. And being at home with something... Has all the connotations of it. You know, when you're, at, you can be in a house and not be at home, and you can feel at home in a place that's not your house. There's a, we know what it means to feel at home somewhere. We know that sense of coming home. That's what's going on here. It's part of a deep, a deep meaning and connection. It's not a transaction or a negotiation. It's a joining in. Maybe it's like the difference, my. Um, Grandchildren uh, who, I've, I've, Val told me, I haven't, <clears throat> hadn't told you all that they've come back to live in Australia. They've come back to Adelaide. They've been here a week already, and I'm already exhausted spending time with them. But when they were, because they've grown up mostly in London, when they were here in January for for Christmas um, for a month, they, we took them to the beach as much as we could and they had to negotiate the ocean. Even though we went to Adelaide beaches where the, you know, the tiny little waves, if you're little and you've never been there before, what do you do with it? You know, how do you, how do you negotiate it? Well, you can talk about it and you can explain that it's safe and see all the other kids are doing it and everything, it's fine. But in the end, you've got to have a go yourself. You've got to immerse yourself into it. If you've never been swimming in the ocean, you can't explain to someone, you can't explain to that person how extraordinary it is, how wonderful it is to be suddenly engulfed in this enormous amount of water, in the biggest piece of stuff on the whole planet, and you're on the edge of it. And it's lapping on you because of the movement of the world the, and the movement of the moon. And it's an extraordinary thing to be a part of. And kids get it, of course. As soon as they overcome their fear, they just have a great deal of fun doing it. they they getting braced by it. And I wonder if it's something like this. I wonder if it's something like this Henri Matisse painting, where it just people are embraced by the experience they're in. You don't know some of those people in this dance might be full of energy and others might be lagging like we said in the prayer earlier on we're not all at the same place at the same time some of us came here this morning ready to go for the day and some of us got here by the skin of our teeth just managed to get some clothes on and managed to get here and managed to put on the kind of smile that we do for each other to say everything's fine even when everything's not and that doesn't matter if we're one community like they are in this painting And then Jesus says, I'm going away and you can't come. And of course you can't, because when one of us goes away, the rest of us can't go. When each of us go, our friends and the people who love us, they can't come either. And when they go, their friends and the people who love them, they can't go either. We go by ourselves. It's a singular event that is awaiting all of us. So Jesus just says what's obvious, you can't come, but... There is a way that you will remain deeply connected in the way I am deeply connected. We're sending this energy, and there's a Greek word for it called paraklesis, which everyone has fiddled around with trying to translate into some sort of English. It might mean Advocate in the way that a lawyer advocates for people in a law court. There's a, a sense of that in some of the other Greek writings that we have. It's not a well-used word, so you kind of have to go with one of them. Is comforter, or friend, or supporter. The word I think works the best of all is the word gluon. and the, and a gluon, as I'm sure you all well know, um, is the is the the. Is the, par- I'm not even sure they're a particle or there might be a wave that glues the bits inside an atom together. I better re- read this bit. It's about quarks, it links quarks, which are the fundamental units of protons and neutrons. You knew that, didn't you? So you're made up of protons and neutrons inside atoms, and um, mostly um, there's it, it, it this kind of vacuum, what appears to be a vacuum in there, um, and it's quarks that link all those things together. And but there's this thing underneath that which which uh, scientists are describing as gluons because it's kind of like like glue. It's the idea that there's that everything in the in the universe is is connected by this material. So the idea that there's a, a vacuum in space doesn't appear to be now to be true. That within the vacuum are these, these interconnected vibrating waves. And just as in and one of the, the, I've been trying to read about this and it's really hard, but one of the, the articles I've read uh, says that you could think about it like you can about the ocean. The ocean connects, the, the water is connected all over the world. And that some creatures within it can sense that connection for long, long distances. One of them is, is whales, who can use their sonar to connect um, across the oceans uh, in vast distances. Another uh, have been the Polynesian wayfinders, the navigators, who use the ocean to navigate all across the Pacific um, by being able to sense which way the wind and the waves are going and, to be, to, without maps, to be able to go from one tiny atoll to another across the Pacific. It's one of the most extraordinary feats Of human ingenuity uh, that we still don't quite understand, and while there are a few people apparently who are still able to do some of it, no one is able to to um, uh, recreate the feats of the early wayfinders who populated the Pacific and were able to navigate around it. It's this idea that everything's interconnected in the ocean. That's the idea of the gluon, and maybe that's what Jesus is pointing to. He wasn't a physicist and he wasn't a cosmologist. But that idea that he was already experiencing himself and a deep interconnectedness between everything. And sometimes we can see these things as really grand, but I think they're really simple too. One of the great stories in John's Gospel is the very first story, where Jesus and his mother and a few of his disciples are going to a wedding, they're invited to a wedding and the wine runs out and his mother talks to him and says, can you do something? And he turns water into wine. Now there's all kinds of stories you can tell about why that happened. But it is the most extraordinary event, isn't it? Because when you think about it, it really was unnecessary. No one was gonna die first if they didn't have another glass of wine. There was no, it wasn't a physical necessity. You'd think if you were going to sort of break into the, your story with, with a, an amazing miracle, you would do something like feeding the 5,000 or something stupendous, but just making more wine. And yeah, it was better wine apparently, but it's just wine. And no one dies without a glass of wine, you know, although some nights you, you, you might want to question that. But you know, g- generally we can get by with water. It's fine. And they could have too, you know, they have to boil their water, or they, you know, drank a bit of beer when, when the water was bad, but but they didn't need great wine. But what if it was because being deeply connected to the experience of the universe as it truly is is an experience of expansion and joy and completeness. And so the first story you want to tell is one just like that, that was kind of unnecessary for human survival, but for human community, the joy of sharing wine together was deeply important. Maybe that's what Jesus' experience was. And maybe that's why when he said, I've got to go away, you can imagine their sense of deflation if they'd been living with that experience of joy and completeness and kind of expansive way of seeing the world. And they, went, they knew, just like the rest of us, that if that wasn't present to them all the time, they would just revert back to being grumbling people. And that's why he says, no, it's not going to be like that. I'm going to go, you can't come. This is the way it always is. But in, in amongst that, there will come an experience, the, the comforter, the advocate, the friend or the glue-on that will deeply connect you. And then maybe we'll all be naked and red and dancing. Maybe. Icelandic hymn. It was written by a 12th century poet called Byn Tolmason. Excuse any mispronunciation for those who can speak Icelandic. The story goes that he wrote that on his deathbed, and the two verses that the trio sang then go like this something like this in English. Listen, smith of the heavens whom the poet beats. May softly come unto me your mercy. So I call on thee, for you have created me. I am thy slave, you are my Lord. Watch over me, my old one. Most we need thee. Truly, every moment in the world of men. Send us, son of the Virgin, beautiful inspiration, All aid is from thee in my heart.